Thank you, Spencer. Morning, friends. Great to see you today. Hope you've all recovered from your turkey coma. Um, I want to invite you to open your copy of God's Word to, well, you can't see it there, and that's going to be a problem. Uh, that's actually Mark chapter 11, uh, verses 27 through 33. Thank you to those who have decorated. Appreciate your work in here. So before we uh, read our passage today, let me, uh, uh, let me comment on what you've seen in your bulletin this morning. We are coming upon Advent. That might be a new concept to some of you. You probably perhaps didn't celebrate Advent as a child. It's uh, something we do here at New Covenant. It's not commanded in Scripture in any place. Uh, it's just a tool we use to help us to prepare for Christmas. If there's ever a holiday that needs preparing for, you'd think it wouldn't be Christmas. But we're not worried about the outside preparations for Christmas. We're worried about the inside preparations for Christmas. And this is the place that needs a lot of work. So I encourage you, uh, if you want to observe Advent to prepare your heart for Christmas, please do so. If, if you want to pass it by, you are free in Jesus to do that as well. Some people find it helpful to uh, read a daily Advent devotional. And uh, as the days progress, uh, that helps some prepare. I have two such books by Sinclair Ferguson, uh, one of our favorite authors here at New Covenant, and uh, can recommend these to you. Uh, just uh, Google him in Amazon and you'll find both of those. One covers green, one covers red, and that should be easy to remember. Um, uh, my, uh, dads and moms, I encourage you in particular to help your children uh, prepare for the advent of Christ uh, by taking them through some kind of uh, kids-level devotional so that it's not all about the materialism that our culture pursues. Whatever way you do prepare for advent, please do prepare for advent, the, the birth of Christ uh, as we draw near. I also want to say that uh, you've seen in your bulletin that on the 22nd of December, we will hold our evening of lessons and carols. So this is a call to you musicians out there. If uh, you're interested in participating in that evening, please, uh, please let me know. All right, now let's turn to Mark's gospel uh, this morning. Uh, verses 27 through 33. Hear the word of God. And they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. 
And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. This is God's inerrant word. May he bless our reading. And let's ask for his help. Let's pray before we uh, look uh, more deeply into this today. Heavenly Father, we, we come in great need of help. Um, we need eyes to see. We need ears to hear. Uh, we are a distracted people. Um, we might even be thinking about lunch already. I pray that you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit, quicken us anew, that we can give ourselves to listening. Christ, that we could give ourselves to the display of your authority in these verses. And Jesus, I pray that you would also quicken us with your Spirit so that we could submit ourselves to your authority on display in these verses. That we would uh, present ourselves to you completely surrendered. Savior, help me to preach this morning, clear my mind and strengthen my, my voice. Uh, Lord, be with us and transform us by your uh, living word. Jesus, we ask all these things in your name. Amen. Uh, U.S. Naval Institute Proceedings, sounds like a thrilling magazine, uh, but that is the magazine of the Naval Institute. Uh, and one author, a uh, gentleman who wrote uh, one column in uh, that magazine, Frank Cook, describes one of his encounters in the Navy. He writes, two battleships assigned to the training squadron had been at sea on maneuvers in heavy weather for several days. I was serving on the lead battleship and was on, and was on watch on the bridge as night fell. The visibility was poor with patchy fog, so the captain remained on the bridge, keeping an eye on all activities. Shortly after dark, the lookout on the wing reported light bearing on the starboard bow. Is it steady or moving astern, the captain called out. The lookout replied, steady, captain, which meant we were on a dangerous collision course with that ship. The captain then called to the signalman, signal that ship, we are on a collision course, Advise you change course 20 degrees. Back came the signal. Advisable for you to change course 20 degrees. The captain said, send, I'm a captain. Change course 20 degrees. I'm a seaman second class, came the reply. You had better change course 20 degrees. By that time, the captain was furious. He spat out the words, send, I'm a battleship, change course 20 degrees. Back came the flashing light, I'm a lighthouse. <laughs> we changed course. That's a good illustration of how you and I respond to the various authority of fig uh, figures in our lives. Uh, but it's even a better illustration of how people respond to the authority of Jesus Christ. And like that battleship, uh, every human being is on a collision course with Christ. God's word tells us that one day everyone will stand before him. Uh, Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 5.10, For me, we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, 
so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And God's word tells us further that if you have not, you and I have not yielded to his authority in this life, we will most certainly yield to him on that final day when he appears. Paul describes this in Romans 14, for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow uh, to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. And again, he says in Philippians 2, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Yes, we are all on a collision course with Christ. And we can address that in this life and change our course 20 degrees. But if not, we will, we will bow the knee to him in the next. Of course, there are a great many who have not bowed the knee to Christ in this life, who have not trusted in his atoning death on the cross, who have not come to him as Lord and Savior. Our passage today reveals two common ways that people respond to the authority of Jesus. And as we look at this confrontation between Jesus and the Jewish authorities, we'll see two common responses to his authority that are still evident in our world today. Uh, the first common response is to question Jesus' authority. Uh, hence, here the Jewish authorities demand to know the authority was Jesus, Jesus was acting on. We see his authority questioned. I want to point out three things to you uh, under this heading. The first is the setting of our passage. As usual, Mark begins by telling us where this takes place. Notice verse 27 in your copy of God's word. It says, and they came again to Jerusalem. Uh, for the third time now, we find Jesus and his disciples entering the city of Jerusalem. Uh, the first time was back at the beginning of chapter 11, at Jesus' triumphal entry into the city. Uh, this is where the crowd cheered him as their conquering Messiah, where Jesus rode on the, the foal, the, the colt of a donkey, uh, and where he later entered the temple to inspect it. That took place on Sunday, or what you and I would call Palm Sunday. On the next day, Monday, Jesus entered the temple a second time. This is where he brought business at the temple to a standstill, where he uh, threw out the merchants and the worshipers, where he overturned the tables of the currency exchange. Um, and then again, he and his men would uh, travel outside uh, uh, the city to Bethany, probably staying with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. That was Monday. It's Tuesday now of Passion Week, and this is the third time we see Jesus traveling back to the city of Jerusalem. Uh, Tuesday is where Peter noticed the withered fig tree that Jesus had cursed the day before. That was up in verse 20. Um, and now on that same morning, they've traveled further past the fig tree. They've arrived at the city, 
and once more head for the temple complex. Uh, verse 27 goes on to say, And they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, many scholars believe, yes, here we go. Uh, temple corner is a little obscured. Uh, we'll have to move that evergreen next week. But uh, many uh, Bible scholars believe, well, see, you can't see the evergreen. It's only me. Here I am making it all about me again. Wow, this is so clear and nice. So this is the temple complex, this whole area. There's the temple itself, and we uh, looked at this in detail uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, scholars believe that today's events are taking place in this long covered pavilion called the Royal Stoa. This might be where Jesus uh, cleansed the temple, so to speak, brought operations to a standstill. Could have been up here as well. Um, but it seems that today's events, uh, uh, most people say they take place in this long covered uh, thing called a ro the Royal Stoa. Uh, it was as long as three football fields. It's enormous. Um, it has a roof supported by four rows of massive columns, each column being 47 feet high, and each row of columns consisting of 40 columns. Four rows, 40 columns long. To completely encircle one of these columns required three men, uh, three men who could touch finger to finger. Uh, that's how large and enormous this area was. It's referred to as probably the most magnificent, magnificent secular building ever erected by Herod. And by walking in the temple, as Mark uh, says, doesn't mean that Jesus was merely taking a stroll to admire the architecture, as he frequently did. He's teaching as he's walking. Uh, likely with his disciples trailing behind him. This is, this is how rabbis taught uh, back then, uh, just by walking along and asking and answering questions. There are no doubt others as well as uh, the 12 disciples. But this is the setting very public, very large uh, setting in the royal stoa, this massive pavilion. Well, then Mark goes on to name a second thing, uh, show us a second thing, and that's the authorities. Uh, we discover the Jewish authorities who've come to question Jesus, and they're introduced toward the end of verse 27. It says, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. These Jewish authorities, you see they're made up of three groups here. And the first one that's mentioned is the chief priests. These men were primarily of a group called Sadducees. They were a wealthy ruling class, and the Sadducees were the one that controlled the overall operation of the temple. Uh, they would have approved of the selling of animals and the, the currency exchange. The Sadducees had permanent duties there. And then second, it names scribes. 
We've seen these before in the book of Mark. They showed up while Jesus was up in Galilee to, to confront him. Uh, scribes, they're sometimes called lawyers uh, in the Gospels. They were the professional scholars, and their specialty was explaining how Jewish law applied to everyday life. They were, they were primarily Pharisees. So we've got Sadducees, scribes uh, who were Pharisees, and then third, the third group mentioned is the elders. They were laymen uh, drawn from the wealthy aristocracy. And together, this, uh, we'll call it a delegation, they come representing the Jewish Sanhedrin. That's the supreme court of the Jewish people. It consisted of 71 men who um, uh, ruled the Jewish people. They had... Uh, freedom and authority to rule in matters of, of the Jewish faith. Um, but because of Roman occupation, they had limited political uh, power and could only act in a, in a restricted manner. So this group approaches Jesus, this group from the Sanhedrin. And they're not coming to make honest inquiries of Jesus. They're not coming really seeking truth from this man. They're, they're, they're hostile. If you think back to the previous day when Jesus um, overturned those tables and, and essentially closed down the temple, look at their response in verse 18 of this same chapter. Uh, it says, And the chief priests and the scribes heard it, uh, heard the report of what Jesus had done, and were seeking a way to destroy him. This is not a, a friendly visit from the men of the Sanhedrin. Uh, these men are uh, coming with, uh, ver with accusations uh, for Jesus. These are the authorities. These are the antagonists in our account today. And this brings us to a third thing. And the third thing is their question. These Jewish leaders questioned Jesus' authority to do what he had done. Notice verse 28. And they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority to do them? What do they mean by these things? By what authority are you doing these things? Well, certainly they're referring to the day before when he overturned those tables and drove the people, the worshipers, and the merchants out of the temple. That, they're certainly referring to that. Um, they've recovered from the shock of that event and and here today, they're responding to it, it uh, because what Jesus did, you know, shutting down business as usual in the temple was a claim to authority, was a claim that, that he could interrupt temple business at will, uh, that he could dictate what took place in the temple and what didn't take place. So what Jesus did the day before, it's a direct challenge to these men. It's a challenge to their authority. And it was a challenge they couldn't ignore, they could not ignore. But more than that, these things probably also referred to the things he'd been doing throughout his ministry. Remember that what amazed people time after time was the authority of Jesus. So way back in Mark 1, we saw this, and they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. 
uh, people were amazed at his authority over the demonic realm. And, and they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And from the start, really, the start of his ministry, Jesus had been challenging the authority of Jewish leaders. He claimed the authority to forgive sins. Uh, it says, uh, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Uh, he, said, uh, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And perhaps this is one of the most outrageous early claims of his authority. He claimed authority over the law of Moses. He claimed authority over the Sabbath. And we saw this back in Matthew uh, 2 as well. Uh, and he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Well, one Bible scholar sums up all these uh, authoritative things like this. The characteristic of Jesus that left the most lasting impression on his followers and caused the greatest offense to his opponents was his exousia, his sovereign freedom and magisterial authority. His sovereign freedom and magisterial authority. So they ask, by what authority are you doing these things? You have no standing in the Sanhedrin. You're an untrained, self-appointed rabbi. How dare you? And then they ask, who gave you this authority? Where did you get this authority? And the implied answer, we certainly didn't give it to you. You certainly didn't, didn't get the okay from us. Where did Jesus get the authority to teach and drive out demons, to heal the sick, to... Uh, to change the Sabbath laws. Well, he had already told them this. It's recorded in John chapter 5. Uh, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord but what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. And then in John 12, Jesus uh, will say this, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment what to say and what to speak. So everything that Jesus did, he did on the authority of God the Father. God the Father showed Jesus what to do and taught him what to say. Jesus, as Son of God and Son of Man, had authority from the Father to do all that he said and did. He's already told them this. He would say it again at his trial. But you and I know it already. You and I know this already. because he's revealed it to you and me in his word. In verses like this, in Luke 9, 23, uh, if anyone would come after me, this is Jesus speaking, let him or her deny himself 
and take up his cross daily and follow me. I, I don't know if you've thought about this verse much, but I want to point out that underlined phrase to you and what that means. Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. That's Jesus' summons to stop living under your own authority and to place yourself under his authority. Is that something you've done? In my experience, most people are, are fairly happy to live under the authority that's over them. As long as it suits them. As long as that authority doesn't interfere with their plans. As long as that authority doesn't try to tell them what to do. As long as that authority doesn't cramp their style. I've seen people treat uh, government authorities like this. And I think we all have back couple years ago. I've heard people respond to the elders this way. You know, we sit in membership classes and we try to describe what the role of an elder is to, to, to people and everybody nods their head and, yeah, I get that. The elders, elders are an authority. They lead the church. I get that. I'm okay with that. And everybody's all smiles. They'll even sign on the dotted line until the elders point out something in their life and say, hey, friend, that needs to change. And then this submission to the elders goes, who are you to tell me what to do? I've heard people respond even professing believers, people who profess to know Christ, respond this way to his authority. And again, people are happy to live under the authority of Jesus as long as it suits them. As long as his instructions don't interfere with what they want to do. This in my opinion, remains the greatest obstacle for people coming to faith in Christ. Submitting to the authority of Jesus. Think again, if anyone would come after me, that is, become my follower, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Go back to what most people consider becoming a Christian, and that is praying the sinner's prayer. Yeah, they're all for that. I can do that. I'm okay with Jesus being my Savior, being my Lord. Those aren't separate choices, friend. We come to Christ as Savior and Lord, or we don't come. I hope that's not a shock if you've been here at New Covenant a while. I've been saying it for years. This is what the Word of God teaches. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. We come to him when we come to him, if we come to him as our Savior and 
as our Lord. So what about you? I'm asking you this morning if you've altered your course 20 degrees. And if not, one day you will come face to face with that immovable lighthouse who is Jesus Christ. And on that day you will bow the knee. I encourage you to bow the knee in this life. To surrender to Christ as your Savior and Lord. To turn away from your sin, to trust in what Jesus Christ did on the cross. When I was growing up, we would frequently sing this. I, I suppose it's a hymn. Uh, it's called, I Surrender All. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. That's what Christ calls for. This surrender to his authority. So this is the first common response to the authority of Jesus. is to question his authority. We, we see here the Jewish authorities questioning his authority, demanding to know on what authority he's acting. And we've seen the setting and the authorities, and then finally their question. But this brings us to a second common response. Not only do many question the authority of Jesus, many simply avoid it altogether. And here we see the authorities uh, refuse to name the authority at work behind John the Baptist and Jesus. And, and let me point out three things here under this heading as well. First, we encounter Jesus' counter-question. Jesus replies to the authorities with his own question. Notice verse 29 now. Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. It's a very common way in Jesus' day for a rabbi to answer a student's question. Uh, he would ask a question of his own. Uh, he would ask a counter question. And Jesus employs this same method with his own disciples on several occasions in Scripture. And he does the same thing here with the Sanhedrin. He, he responds with a counter question. And what's the significance of that? Well, by asking a counter question, catch this. He implies again, authority. Uh, he's, he's implying that he's not under the Sanhedrin, but over it. I'll tell you if you answer my question. Uh, his counter question signifies he's not under the authority of these Jewish rulers. As the son of man, he's in authority over them. And then notice the question itself in verse 30. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. Quite pointed. As though they were afraid to answer him. Why, why bring up John's ministry? Was he trying to dodge their question? What in the world does John the Baptist 
Is this a, is this a stall for time? Not at all. What was John's primary ministry? Was his primary ministry to baptize people? His primary ministry was to announce that someone greater than him was on the way. Uh, John was a voice crying out in the wilderness, just as Isaiah predicted, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Uh, listen to John's own words. Uh, and he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. And then listen to this from John in John chapter 1. Uh, John describing, simply acting out his ministry before us. The next day, he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. Preexistent, in other words. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw... Uh, the spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to whom uh, he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, "He on whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. That's what John came to do is to testify uh, that Jesus was the one. But the Sanhedrin, they claimed that their authority was absolute. No one could operate in the religious realm unless they got their stamp of approval from the Sanhedrin. But it was widely believed in Jesus' day that John was a prophet sent from God. People would say, people took this as a given fact. Sometimes we say, everybody knows this. Everybody knows that, anyway, I won't say anything else. Why, everybody knows John the Baptist is a prophet of the Lord. Everybody knows that. Dr. Sproul, R.C. Sproul comments, if anything was a given in Israel at the time, it was that John the Baptist was a prophet sent by God. But what about John, Jesus asked them. He didn't get approval from you. No prophet of the Lord ever got his message from a man or a group of men. A prophet's message comes from God. And everybody around here knows that John came from God. And he identified me as the son of God. So, so what do you guys think? Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? He had, he had backed these men into a tight little corner. Uh, forcing them to decide whether John was an authentic prophet or not. If they accepted that John was an authentic prophet of the Lord, they, had, they would have to accept Jesus as authentic too. 
Because John, a prophet of the Lord, testified about his identity as the Son of God. Well, this is the counter question. And this leads to the second thing that we find in this part. And that's their deliberation. They deliberate about how they should answer. Look at verse 31 now. Uh, it says, And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. The word discussed at the, in the first phrase, and they discussed they discussed it means to, to reason through something thoroughly, to, to think out carefully, to, to consider. And this word is, is always used in connection with people trying to avoid the meaning of Jesus' words. They're, they're trying to figure out what to say. Because Jesus has backed, him, backed them into a corner. They're caught between the horns of a dilemma. They could agree with the people and admit John received his ministry from the Lord, just as everybody believed. Everybody knows that John is a prophet. But that would mean admitting that Jesus was authentic too. Or they could give their honest opinion, probably what they really thought, and say that John wasn't sent by God at all. But there's something holding them back from this response. Fear. Look again at verse 32. But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. Remember, this isn't a private conversation. This is taking place in, that, in the royal stoa, that huge hall. And there are not only Jesus' disciples around him, there are probably also other followers of Jesus or other interested people at least around them, people who would have all believed that John was a prophet of the Lord. If they announced there in that crowd that John wasn't really sent by God, who knows how the crowd would respond if it was large enough. They might even have a small riot on their hands. So they deliberate. They are caught. And finally, we see their evasion. The Jewish authorities sidestep his question. Look at their answer in verse 33. So they answered Jesus. We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. They decided to suspend their judgment on John and Jesus. Or what people would say today, I'd like to keep an open mind on this matter. They really didn't want to know. They were unwilling to know. You know, they might have had some suspicions about who Jesus was. We know that at least one Pharisee did, and his name was Nicodemus. And it says about Nicodemus 
uh, he said to Jesus, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. At least one Pharisee, I, I doubt he was present, we don't know, uh, if this delegation had suspicions, uh, had an idea about Jesus like this one, they never said it. And so they don't receive any further revelation about Jesus. Neither will I tell you where my authority comes from. Now listen, I want to suggest this is the way that many people respond to the authority of Jesus. They don't want to hear the truth about Jesus. They don't want to hear that there are proofs that he was God's son. Because then they'll be responsible for a decision about Jesus. That he's really who he said he was, the, the Lord. That he was God. But if Jesus isn't God, then he is the greatest liar that ever lived. Or I should say the worst liar that ever lived. If he wasn't a liar, then he was a complete lunatic who thought he was God. So people on, on the identity of Jesus like to keep an open mind so they're not forced to decide who he really was. And these people like to keep an open mind on other things. They don't want to hear what the Bible has to say about addiction or about a sinful lifestyle. They'd, they'd rather uh, keep an open mind and not consider. They don't want to know what the Bible says. And that way they can keep indulging themselves and just say, I'm not sure about those things. You know, some people say this, some people, I, I, I don't know. I like to keep an open mind. Neither do these kinds of people want to hear about recent discoveries about our universe. Discoveries that support the existence of an intelligent designer. And, behind, and that behind everything, there, there might really be a God. And that if there really is a God, one day they'll be held accountable for all that they've done. Now, I, I like to keep an open mind about the origin of the universe. So what these men do here, they can't come down on either side. They invent this little sidestep, and people have been imitating their shuffle ever since. So the third thing we find is, is their evasion. They suspend their judgment and decide to keep an open mind. This is a second common response to the authority of Jesus Christ. They just refuse to come down on either side to make a decision. And that's what these men do. They refuse to decide about John the Baptist and therefore refuse to decide about Jesus. So I put it to you, this is how people generally respond to Christ. It's not the only responses necessarily. But when they're confronted by his authority, how do many respond? Well, the first common response we've seen is they question his authority. Are you sure? Where did it come from? Where, how can he say that? I mean, is the Bible even reliable? They question his authority. 
And then the second common response to his authority is they, is they evade it, they sidestep it. They, they say they want to keep an open mind. There's so many opinions. Is either of these true of you? Uh, that you are trying to, or you have questioned the authority of Jesus? Can I, can I be frank? There's so many in this world who, uh, wow, believed in the authority of Christ and believed in the authority of the Bible until they discovered one of their close relatives uh, was gay. Well, I'm not really sure, you know, that the Bible condemns homosexuality. So I'm going to keep an open mind there. I mean, after all, it's my grandson I'm talking about, or it's my third cousin twice removed, or whoever in your family. Could you be guilty of questioning the authority of Jesus? You know, everybody goes along with his authority as long as it suits them. So how about you? And this little shuffle these men do here, this sidestep. Is that true of you? By way of application, I encourage you to uh, take note of these two responses. First of all, look for it in your own life. And if you see it in your own life, turn from it. Look for it in the lives of your children. Wow, we've seen the shuffle so many times at our house. Sometimes I think it's a dance show, you know, when our girls were younger. Look for these responses in your children. And finally, look for them in your friends. Your friends questioning the authority of Christ. There's very, very solid reason why the Bible is reliable and authoritative, and therefore why Christ is reliable and authoritative. I can show you those if you're interested. Plenty of evidence that most people just would rather not know because if they knew just how reliable the Bible was and how certain physicists were about the design of the universe, uh, then they would have no excuse let me pray for us as we, as we close. Savior, thank you for this little conversation, this uh, small passage. And um, thank you for showing these responses to your authority. Lord, they're still around in our day. How people question your authority and, and just avoid it altogether. Avoid the whole issue. And I, I pray, Savior, that you would uh, mature us as believers, as your followers, that we might observe it well in, in ourselves. We might take note of when it happens in our children's lives and also our, those around us, Father, and, and to be able to uh, gently and in a spirit of compassion name that in front of them. Especially if these are true in any one of us this morning, I pray you'd point it out by your Holy Spirit, God, and uh, grant us grace to turn away from it 
And may we be able to say to you, Christ Jesus, I surrender all. All to thee I freely give. I will ever love and trust thee. Uh, I surrender all. May those be the words we're able to sing, Lord. I ask this through Christ. Amen.